G'day race fans, welcome to the Gates Rev Limited Supercars Review. There were some pretty ordinary conditions out there, very easy to crash today. You don't need jam throttles on wet tracks. We won! Yes! He didn't do a good job, I'm like, mate, you've won by 20 seconds, what's the problem? <laughs> Well, hello race fans, uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm Neville Wilkinson and I'm joined by Andrew Clark, who's in Townsville. How are you going, Clarky? Oh, look, how could you not be good? It's beautiful weather up here and uh, it's been a cracking weekend of motor racing. So, uh, yeah, very happy to be here. So, what do you think of the racing? Oh, I thought it was great. It wasn't like a sprint race where you expect to see lots of overtaking and passing events, but it was a massively intriguing battle of strategies and uh, and the like. And, and we did end up with some cracking racing out of it all as well. So, yeah, it was really good. Good weekend. Okay. Well, let's not stuff around. I'm going to hit this button and we get straight into it. Race Recap. Townsville lives on the edge of the world's largest living organism, which we know as the Great Barrier Reef. But that's not why we're here in far north Queensland. The peace and serenity of the fish and the coral was nothing compared to the noise and violence of car racing on Reed Park hybrid circuit. The giz was on pole but had been deflected chalk all weekend about his starts. And even after a day of practising with Queensland Raceway, the best he could come up with was a one-spot loss to Davo. It's nice to know he's not perfect, but scary to think he could get, get better. Tim Slade rolled the strategy dice and came out on the Dunlop Super Softs and started to pluck off those in front of him. He qualified inside the top 10 again after a rough couple of rounds, and this was supposed to bring joy, but in the end, it didn't. He took the lead on lap 6 of 88 and pulled a small but significant gap. Dave Reynolds, who also started on the Super Softs, was much more productive, working his way from 18th on the grid to 2nd on lap 10. It was an important experiment for the rest of the field. How long would those Dunlop Supersofts last? 10 laps was easy and the speed advantage was big. After 20 laps it was closing and by 30 it was gone. So, somewhere in the 20s, depending on the car setup and that right foot, was the life of a Dunlop Supersoft. The damaged cars were stacking up too. Macaulay Jones and Jack Smith tangled with each other while dicing with Chris Pitha. Both the Brad Jones racing cars were damaged and had lengthy pit stops. James Golding also got a welcome back to the main game, belting that had him in the pits after one lap. All the damage was fixed, but they were laps down. Up front at the end of lap 11, Tim Slade led by 3.8 seconds over Dave Reynolds, who had 5.2 seconds over Dave. Slade was lapping a second lap faster than anyone else at this stage, and he kept opening up the gap. And Van Gisbergen cleared Will to set himself as the lead runner on hards. Cam Waters looked out of sorts, even though he was third among the hard ties but he just didn't look to have the edge he had here last year. Training Slade by 14 seconds, Triple Eight played a critical strategy game on lap 25, pitting the championship leader for a very big drink of fuel. More than eight seconds, in fact, over his rest of his rivals, meaning a short fill later in the race and an iconic charge was on the cards, which is exactly how it played out. But first, the middle stint happened, and that's all we're going to say. At the contenders, Mostert was typically early with his final stop, pulling in for his last batch of fuel and the Dunlop Supersofts on lap 52, meaning he had 36 laps to do on rubber that was really only good for 25. Will Davison in second covered that move three laps later, putting him short on rubber as well. The Giz was, as expected, the last of the contenders to stop on lap 64, and an ideal 24 laps on the Supersoft was in front of him. He had 18 seconds to Will Davison who was leading and he started reeling him in at the rate of a second a lap and pegged off the three cars between them, first Slade, then Mostert and forward pitted out of his way. 
Five laps from home, he made an easy pass on Davison, who was clearly struggling to get anything from the tyres. And that was it to the flag, with Cam Waters coming through for a last gasp podium. 40 cars finished on the lead lap, and the winning strategy was hard, hard, super soft. The next day, Cam Waters nailed pole in the shootout with a massive 0.3 second margin when the qualifying gap from first to last was less than a second. Will Davison was meant to line up beside him, but he copped a one-spot grid penalty for impeding James Courtney during qualifying, and he critically swapped spots with Anton Di Pasquale. Off the start, it was Di Pasquale who jumped away best, and he led into Turn 1 from Waters, had to fire down the inside of Davison, who was trying to round him up in Turn 1. On the exit to Turn 3, Davison and Pai connected, and guess what? Scott Pye came off worst, and he recorded yet another first lap DNF. David didn't get away too easily either, pushing into the barriers with a flat tyre and bent steering only a couple of corners later. He put the race on hold with a safety car. Thomas Randall gambled with the Supersofts in the first stint. He was the only car to do it this time, and he did get the lead, but he wasn't able to pull away like Slade the day before. It was clear his qualifying speed was not there in race trim. The race settled into rhythm just like it had the day before. Van Gisbergen jumped deeper squally in the pits and that looked like it with only 30 laps done. But it wasn't. After the last stops and onto the super softs, some cars came alive and others dulled down. Mozzie was going hard and picked off Waters for third, while Van Gisbergen and Deeper Squale settled into a run to the flag. But Deeper Squale kept getting better and he started to close the gap. Mozzie proved he went too hard too early and he gave third back to Waters and dropped another spot to James Courtney. While all that was happening, Anton was lining up Van Gisbergen, who was again putting the car in all the right spots, with Di Pasquale lining up for a big lunge at the last corner. It didn't work though. Van Gisbergen spun out of the lead, Anton tootled down to the finish line, trying to give the spot back to the Gizzy, but he wouldn't take it. And that's how they crossed the line with Waters in third. The five second penalty handed out after the race to Di Pasquale gave Van Gisbergen a clean sleep of the weekend. Just what the championship wanted. Not. That's it for now. Stay tuned when we dig a little deeper into what happened. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Grove Racing. Every time we hit the track, we rely on Gates premium parts to help us perform under extreme conditions. Serpentine, cooling and timing systems are crucial to your engine performance. Inspecting and replacing all system components at the same time will ensure your vehicle is ready to tackle any challenge. Protect your ride with Gates. Available from Repco, Napa Auto Parts, Super Cheap and Reputable Auto Stores. Uh, welcome back to the Gates Rev Limiter Supercar Review. Clarky, it's a bit of a boil down time. I've got a couple of incidents I want to talk to you about. I'm sure you've got other things, but uh, mate, i got to talk to you. What the hell happened in the first lap of the second race? Wow, it was a, it was wasn't it? It was, it was on and it was complex, and uh, it all started because, of course, it's the old scenario of the fastest car didn't get the fastest line to take off from the grid, so you're stuck on the inside dirty line. Anton Di Pasquale on the outside line, Cam Waters on the inside. Cam didn't get away so well. Anton did, Will Davison did, and Cam struggling, but then Cam got back that second spot on the uh, on the second corner, and Scott Pye followed him through. And that's where it all went wrong because in turn three, bang. So just painting it, it was almost like three wide going into turn one. The Giz has gone out wide. He's on the outside going into through the kink turn two, right? And this has allowed Scott Pye? 
Yeah, Scott Pye, an opportunist. I mean, he's having an ordinary season, as we'll discuss a little bit later. But uh, he saw the gap open and he just went, you know, there, it was there and he had every right to go for it. And, uh, yeah, it was beautiful. I liked watching that part of it. Didn't quite like what happened afterwards, but I liked that part. That was the start. Yeah, that was the start of it all, you know. But, uh, you know, you, if you're going to get hit, you're going to put yourself into a position to get hit, don't you? And, uh, you know. <laughs> so what happened? Well, what happened coming out of turn three, and this is where turn three is a really complex corner here because it starts out really wide and then it just narrows itself down on the exit. So you had Scott Pye right beside Will Davison as the track was there, was narrowing up on him. And, of course, the two cars hit and uh, poor old Scott Pye flipped around, hit the wall, crash, out of the race, bang again. Uh, Will Davison, Ben Steering, puncture, he went off into the wall a couple of turns later and we had a safety car, of course. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a spectacularly big crash and amazing, amazing that more cars weren't caught up in it. What do you think of uh, Pye's move? Do you think he should have given Davison a little bit more room? Do you Because Davison kind of bounced off the wall a little bit, then bounced into pie. It was all, I mean, it was very squeezy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think if you're sitting there and saying, you know, who would be the blame? You know, if you've got a portion blame for this thing. Yeah, Scott Pye should have given him a bit more room. He should have been aware that that wall was coming back at them and he couldn't just keep on squeezing him. It's like, you know, when somebody uses a slip lane at the traffic lights, you know, eventually they're going to have to, somebody's going to have to give way um, or you've got to move over. And, and Scotty Pye probably should have moved on or and he would have got through. But, you know, he's had such an ordinary run this year, Scott Pye, that I'm thinking he's just probably sitting there thinking, no, I can't let him get in. I can't let him in. I've got to hold this spot. I've got to hold this spot because I need some results. Um, and, of course, you end up with no results at all. It was the end of Pye's race because uh, he did a 360. Luckily, no one collected him. And also, uh, Davo, he's, uh, well, we basically cut down his front right tyre and he ended up in the tyre barrier. Yeah, he also had Ben steering out of it as well, which um, gave him two hassles. Yeah, yeah. So he drove the whole race with Ben steering, and uh, eventually he got to got to work around it. He understood it all. He could work it work through the problems. Um, and I think he said they made a, a slight change to the car during one of the stops to actually try and help it a bit as well. But yeah, Ben steering cut tire into tires. You know, it looked like his day was done. But um, yeah, remarkable drive by him to end up getting back to seventh. If we want to uh, jump start to the end of this conversation, it was a really good drive from from Will Davison. The officials. They reviewed it and they felt that it was a racing incident. Well, I think it was, you know, it's a, but it was an avoidable racing incident, I think. It's not one of those ones where I'd say, look, let's go out and give Scott Pye a penalty or anything. But, you know, if you got first lap when you got people trying to do things, they're side by side, they're doing all sorts of stuff. And remember also, that, you know, it's the first lap, the tyres are cold. You don't have quite the grip that you think you have in even three, four laps time. So, you know, it is just one of those things. So I'd say, yeah, racing incident, but, you know, Scotty Pye could have been a little bit smarter and just left a little bit more room and he, he would have finished the race. I, for one, was glad he went for it. I think he had to. I think there was his chance. Oh, absolutely. The gap's there. I mean, what it Ayrton said? said, if you if there's a gap there and you don't take it, you're no longer a racing driver. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing. So the gap was there. He had to take it. He had to follow through um, because it was pretty obvious. It was just a little bit clumsy on the exit, and that was the, uh, the only bit that hurt. Okay. It's the end of the race. Final turn. The second incident. Well, basically, De Pasquale into the back of the gears. What well, that was the start of it. Yeah, bang, bang. <laughs> yeah, it was a. He went for a gap. He did. He went for the gap, and it's interesting. Uh, it was a bit shitty afterwards, Van Gisbergen, but he did say, you know, well, at least he went for the gap. <laughs> he wasn't that upset about it. You know, that it was there. But your question is always, you know, is was the gap really there? Talk us through what happened. So coming up to the end of the race, and strangely speaking, this is probably the first time this year that Van Gisbergen hasn't had the fastest car towards the end of a race. And so 
Di Pasquale's reeling him in. Pulls up onto his tail, and he probably gets only one lap to do this because it's the last lap when he gets close enough. Um, and Van Gisbergen, of course, is a master of putting the car where he puts the car, etc. Coming out of the second last turn, Van Gisbergen didn't get out of it as well as Di Pasquale did. So Di Pasquale was able to close it a little bit. Van Gisbergen thought he was so far back, he didn't even bother. He didn't even bother looking in the mirror. Um, and Di Pasquale saw him go right over to the right. He went down the left and tried to make the move. Jumped on the picks, uh, locked the front left and uh, slid into the door of the uh, of the Van Gisbergen car and spun him around. Bang! That's the result. Now, Di Pasquale kind of stopped there thinking, okay, I'll give you some time to get going again. The Giz didn't, and Di Pasquale's taken off. Yeah, I know. It was an interesting scenario, that one, because they, they did kind of look there and think, yeah, what the hell's going on? And uh, Di Pasquale kind of waddled off to the line, and it actually looked like his car was damaged for one stage because he was going so slow. He was trying to let Van Gisbergen pass him. He was trying to let the redress happen. And Van Gisbergen wasn't going to let that happen. So he tootled across the finish line behind him. So what it was, it was a race to come second. Yeah, well, that's what it felt like. <laughs> but it, it, I know, but it opens up a whole lot of interesting debates here because, you know, like Anton was trying to redress his mistake and Van Gisbergen wasn't taking his mistake. So why should the stewards then get involved and hand out a penalty? That's in my notes to ask you is like, if, a, if someone chooses to refuse the redress, when does that redress no longer become to have to be done? Does that make sense? Um, if it was me, I would have um, I would have said no. I think it's all over. Um, so if you don't take the redress, you don't get the penalty would be my, my statement. So, yeah, I, I think the stewards got that wrong. Once once Van Gisbergen's offered the opportunity to, to accept Di Pasquale saying, you know, here, take the spot back, I made a mistake, he doesn't take it, then it's all fair, fair and square. So I, I think it's a wrong decision. Um, I understand the decision is technically correct, but I think from a sporting and a moral sense, it's wrong. And I think it, um, you know, it uh, should have gone the other way. Oh well, we'll uh, we'll be keeping up on that little uh, little scenario and see yeah. what more comes out. Yeah, of. and it's got a couple of interesting scenarios because like Di Pasquale's gone up to Van Gisbergen after the race to apologise, and Van Gisbergen's just turned his back and walked away to talk to his team. Um, and he said afterwards, I was just angry. You know, I didn't want to talk to him. I was angry. And he's there. They have spoken and they've, you know, they've shook hands and done all that sort of stuff. But uh, the press conference was a little bit frosty, I can tell you. And um, it's unusual for Chad Nalen, who hosts the press conference, to uh, to really get into something. But man, did he get into them. Oh, okay. Well, we've got a bit of that press conference. How did you not accept his opportunity to regress? <laughs> You're a very smart racer. You think about everything from behind the wheel. Yeah. Were you hoping that he might get more of a penalty if you crossed behind him? Yeah, I probably thought that at the time, yeah. But you weren't sure exactly how that would play out? Oh, I don't know. I know that the re- redress rule isn't a thing anymore, um, officially, but um, yeah, I just cruised across the line. When you got out of the car in uh, Park for May, yeah. you said to Jess in the coverage, you had to go, you had to respect that. Yep. So why didn't you shake his hand? I was angry at the time and uh, I wanted to celebrate with my guys. And then after the interviews, I went and, went and saw him and said pretty much what I said to Jess. Like, I don't mind that he had to go. I'm angry I got spun out, but um, I'm happy we're having a battle. And um, I, I got no problem with that. But yeah, I, I, maybe he could have done it better. See what he has to say, but um, I was at nothing. You shook hands on the podium, so yeah. as far as you're concerned, it's we head off now and you're even students? Yeah, I'm cool with it. Yeah. You don't know I'm not? Yeah, so it's an interesting question, isn't it, Nev? You know, what, what, what 
what constitutes a penalty and why should a penalty not be handed out. And uh, yeah, I think it's one that we're going to talk about for a few weeks yet. And uh, interesting. Okay. Well, next up, uh, I still want to stay with Shane Van Gisbergen because seriously, Saturday, he was supreme. I mean, okay, he didn't lead all the way. They made him race for the position. Uh, we knew we could do it because he did that kind of thing at the Grand Prix. Um, Saturday was amazing race. It was, wasn't it? It was, was tactically a really good race. I love the fact that Red Bull did something so dramatically different that it gave us something to watch. And, yeah, we knew that Shane was going to have that, that quick fill at the end and then he was going to go into the super softs for a short stint, which meant he was going to have heaps of grip and he didn't have to be as tender as he as you would have to be normally. Uh, but he came out and he had 18 seconds to get after in 24 laps. So he had to get up nearly a second a lap. Um, so it was going to be a ding-dong battle. And the question was always, if you use... Yeah, if you had to get past it about a second lap to get up to Will Davison, what were his tyres going to be like when he got to him? Would they all be shot and we'd just be watching these cars slide around? But uh, that Triple Eight car is bloody good on its tyres. And uh, yeah, by the time he got up to him, he still had the gap. Did you think that he could do that? I mean, were you expecting him to be able to get 18 seconds up on those tyres? <sighs> um, no, I wasn't. Um, because there wasn't even a second a lap difference between the soft tyres and the hard tyres when they were new. So yeah, to, to see that difference there was quite staggering. And uh, it was one of those ones. It was, it was a classic drive by the Giz. That's the, the bottom line. I mean, he was in he was in amazing touch. He, he knew everything he was doing and he, he just drove it as brilliantly as he could drive it. So it's uh, you know, probably one of the best drives he's done. Okay, I want to get on to Sunday. He just won sunday definitely didn't have it over everybody uh like uh saturday in fact when uh anton was catching uh shane did you expect shane was just holding off and then he'd put put the power down a bit and then keep that gap were you were you waiting for the giz to suddenly put the hammer down and and stop losing the time to anton it did feel like that, didn't it? It felt like he was just toying with him and playing games, but uh, you know, it, it obviously wasn't. And because, uh, as you say, we're not used to the gears not having that speed at the end of the race. We're not used to him not being the quickest car on tyres. Uh, and, and what happened was that on Saturday, he said the car was really hard to drive fast. Um, so what they tried to do on Saturday, on Saturday night was try to tune it into a nicer race car, but they knew it would cost them perhaps a little bit of speed. Uh, and it looks like they actually tuned it all uh, tuned it all wrong and got the um, you know the long term tyre balance out of it, um, which was good for us. I mean, you know, it's good when Triple Eight does something like that for us because they don't often help us like that. <laughs> uh, just one other little piece I wanted to bring up, Davo. Do you reckon Will Davison? If he hadn't have had the coming together with Scott Pye, the tie going down, because he finished in seventh from bench steering, he was really fast at the end. Do you reckon he could have won? Well, see, I think the big difference would have been having two shell cars in the game would have made a very big difference because you could run slightly different strategies. You could gamble a bit on one and not on the other, etc. So, yeah, clearly he would have been in the running. There's no doubt at all. Um, but, you know, given the way he's gone this year, he probably would have finished second. It's finished second a lot this year. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot, so. <laughs> Brad Jones Racing. Three cars in the top 10 on Friday, two cars crashing into each other on Saturday. Um, Heimgardner proving uh, that the cars are good because he did some something. He did something with them. 
He sure did, didn't he? And Andre's in great touch at the moment. I mean, and it's great to see. I mean, we know that the BJR cars are good up here. They had a you know front row lockout at one stage last year with them. So you know they're good cars. Uh, but you know, it's uh, there's something wrong there. They got to deal with this thing. They can't just keep having the two cars in the team. Um, crashing into each other the way they did. I mean, I know they were trying to go around Chris Pither and the two of them hit each other and they both ended up in the pits. I mean, that's just not acceptable if you're a team owner. Um, and, and it just cost them so badly. You've got four cars in the in the field. Um, Heimgartner is good and he's up there contending for a win. Fullwood, we know, is still on that learning curve. What is only about his third season, I think, in the main game. Um, but the other two guys have been around for a long time and they're just not getting there. So, you know, I think Brad Jones need to start having a look at that and... and Deciding what he does is it, you know, is Jack Smith's money worth it, um, or can he get Jack Smith to actually deliver what Jack Smith might be able to give us? Who knows? It's, it's the nature of the business, so to speak. They've got to they've got to stay alive. They kind of need some paid drivers. It tends to be the uh, mix. Hybgarner is definitely proving pretty much every set they're paying for him, mind you. I think he's doing as good a job, if not better, than Nick Perkat did for the team. Oh, no, absolutely, is no doubt. But yeah, you know, Andre's a superstar. When you get down to it, he's going to be a you know if you if you put him into any one of the the main two teams, he'd be laughing. But you know, he's a great driver and he's doing a great job. And uh, as I say, he proves that Brad Jones Racing can do the job. He proves that the cars are good enough. You know, and I think it's time that we started to say that you know this average qualifying in the twenties for you know, for Jack Smith and Macaulay Jones, it's just not enough. And you've got to get out of that and you've got to start racing smarter. Um, and, and I don't know how you get to that point. Um, I don't know, honestly don't know whether the two drivers uh, have the ability to do what they want to do um, or whether they're just being a bit unlucky. But uh, only Brad Jones will really know the answer to that. Only in the fullness of time, fella. Yeah, fullness of time. That's a great statement, isn't it? The way to redeem yourself in this championship is just win Bathurst. If you win Bathurst, everything's all right again. (laughs) It does. It it fixes all ills, doesn't it? Absolutely. yeah, but as I say, we've seen at times we've seen from both Macaulay and from Jack that they can actually do the job, but we're not getting it often enough. So consistency is the key. If you can qualify sixth, there's um, you know, or higher than that, Macaulay Jones qualified eighth in one race this year. You know, you can qualify in eighth every time. You know, so you should be up there. You should be contending for the top ten, not battling to stay in the top twenty. Moving on, Tickford. Their new setup, uh, the 12 months on, how's it all going? Yeah, so let me backtrack for you. Remember, Townsville won last year. Cam Waters was lapped, you know, but not through any mistakes or anything. He was lapped on speed. Um, and it was a really uh, low point for the team. They went away from that in one week and uh, they, according to Tim Edwards, they pulled out the paper shredder and put the setups in the shredder and shredded the paper. And they came out with a whole. <laughs> An entirely new um, concept for the car, and they completely re-engineered it between the two races. Then Cam Orders came out and won the next round. Um, so this is the 12 months on now. So we've now been running this setup for 12 months, and you've seen at Sydney Motorsport Park, which was one of their worst tracks ever. They've got on top of it there. They've been better at Simmons Plains. Um, so there's no doubt that it all works, and the cars are better. Uh, Cam Orders is giving us the results, isn't he? I mean, he had two podiums this weekend, a pole position. He won it last round, and one before that. Uh, but again, perhaps like Brad Jones Racing. The getting not much consistency from the other three cars. And uh, that's kind of what I wanted to turn my attention to here, Nev. Well, turn it. We saw yesterday we had uh, Cam Waters right up the top in qualifying. And then we had um, you know, Randall and Kostecki and Courtney back in the, I think it was 12 to 19, the three of them. And then today we had three cars in the top 10 shootout. 
So we turned it around entirely, and, and there's no real reason why there's a massive jump in it. Um, but what I understand is that it, it's hard to get the tyres to work on that first lap. And so Cam Waters has decided that instead of doing the old zigzagging thing and I'm going to try and warm the tyres up that way, he just goes out and goes as hard as he can. And so he's got the tyres working in that first sector, whereas the other cars are getting their best sector in the lap after they finish their time lap. So if it works for Cam Waters like that, why don't the others just do the same thing and ease, ease everybody's pain? So I think there's a bit of a thing going on there. I had a good chat to Tim Edwards about it today, and uh, um, without wanting to promote too many things, you'll be able to read that in auto action next week. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that stuff, yes. Um, so you'll be able to read the, the whole story in there, but um, it's just an interesting thing about you know percentages and how close you have to be and how much you have to be off the game before you're in trouble. And um, you know the two new drivers for him, Randall and Kostecki, are hitting their targets, um, but everybody else is going so much quicker that they're they're suffering. And you know, in this game, if you don't qualify well, you're in trouble. You know, it is a qualifying sport. You have to qualify well. So the challenge for him and his team is get those other three guys to qualify like Cam. I wanted to talk about James Golding. Uh, return to the main game. How many years has he been out? Oh, I think it's three, isn't it, since Gary Rogers made his watch I thought it yeah. was two, and I thought that yeah, was a lot. How did he go? Uh, I think he did all right. I mean, um, you think about it. It's um, He got dumped in there. He hasn't driven the car before. Um, he doesn't even have a decent-looking race suit. Um, so, you know, he's just dumped in the deep end there. And uh, he's a good kid. We know he can drive. Um, there's no doubt at all that he's a bloody good driver. Um, and uh, I think he did all right. I mean, he got beaten up in the first race. Um, you know, got whacked around a bit and ended up not really getting through the first lap without damage. Uh, but they fixed the car, got him back out there to do some some laps. And, uh, yeah, and he got, got the time in the car that he needed. And then he came out today, Sunday, which, uh, just to let people know, we are recording Sunday night. Um, <laughs> And I thought he was okay again. You know, he's 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 travelled through. He was having a good battle with those tail ender um, um, Brad Jones racing cars, and uh, you know, and he's ended up coming home what in twenty uh, first, which is not you know you don't sit there and say wow that's awesome, but uh, you know he was competitive with people who've been there for a while, and uh, I think yeah, good job. I think. Do you expect him to improve? Do you expect him to improve on that? Oh, absolutely, I do. I think, um, and having a good chat to Peter Shiberis over the weekend, like they've got big plans for that team. Um, he's not sitting around. He doesn't want to be the first team in pit lane. He wants to be up in the middle at least. Um, so they're going to invest in the team. I mean, it's Triple Eight equipment. Um, they've got Triple Eight engineers that he's employed. Um, they, they will get better, and I think James Golding um, is a good enough driver to uh, to take them up the grid further. So you said you've been speaking to Peter Xerovas. Yep. I thought hopefully I said that correctly. No, you didn't, but that's life. <laughs> Can you educate me? How do you say it correctly? Shiberis. 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 Yeah. So <laughs> um, I've got to edit this out. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but, no, no, leave it in. So it's funny. Did he? Did he actually tell you what his plans were, driver-wise, for next year, or or, or if he did yeah. he tell you that? He doesn't have them yet. He's um. These, oh, fair enough. These two guys are on are on watch. Um, and they've got a chance. So, like, both of those drivers could be there next year. You know, we know that Chris Pith is a really good bloke. Um, he's not ever going to be a, a, a dominant driver like a Van Gisbergen or anything like that. But he's also not going to bring the car home bent and ruined. Um, and he's got sponsorship, which always helps. Um, and James Golding, clearly, we know he's good enough to be at the front end of the field if he gets in the right car. So that's there. But there's also the looming thing in the background is that um, Cam Hill, Triple Eight driver from Super 2, there is a push to try and get him into a seat for next year at either the Triple Eight supplied teams. So that is Peter Shiberis and Team 18. Um, so I'd expect to see Cam Hill actually co-driving with Frosty at Bathurst this year. 
Um, so I think he'll replace James Golding there. Um, but I think he's uh, he's a definite contender for a seat with Shaberis next year. Well, uh, if that happens, you heard it here kind of first? Yeah, absolutely first. <laughs> okay. This is a wrap-up, this bit of a digging deeper. Um, strategy watch. What do you mean by this? I've got a note for strategy watch. Super hard, soft, soft hard, super, super. What the heck are you talking about? Well, there's only three ways you can run this race. You can start with super softs, hard and hard. Then you can do, or you can do hard with super soft in the middle and hard at the end. Or you can do hard, hard and then super soft. And so what we saw in the first race was that um, Tim Slade took a gamble and he started on the super softs, as did Dave Reynolds. Um, and they were talking on the TV about what a great result it was because it helped him to get a much better position. He went from eighth to seventh. <laughs> so I don't reckon I don't reckon that gained much at all. He got a few laps in the lead and he yeah, you know, whatever. Um and then Dave Reynolds went from eighteenth to eighteenth. <laughs> so my gut feel is the super soft hard hard wasn't the best way to go. And, and all the teams were quite clear that the optimal way to do it was hard, hard, super soft. Uh, but what the beauty of it was that because Tim Slade and Dave Reynolds did it first, everybody knew how long the tires would last. Because um, no one knew, they haven't, you know, they didn't know how. What are you going to get? Twenty laps, thirty laps, forty laps? Who knows? Um, what we knew was that it'd be about twenty-five laps, um, and that was the optimal time when the when the drop-off was there. So uh, it's just interesting to watch. And what it did was it gave us some good things. I mean, we saw Thomas Randall lead the race today because he was on the super softs. He was the only guy to do it, by the way. Uh, and we just saw the field mixed up. So my take on it, Nev, is that I want dual compounds in every race. So was the racing any good because of it? Yeah, it was. It was absolutely great. It was a really good strategic weekend. So if you're paying attention, it was really good. If you're sitting there watching for a you know, knock them out fight, no, not so good. But strategy-wise, loved it. Round summary, dude. Uh, polls to Van Gisbergen and Cam Waters. Wins to Van Gisbergen. And uh, Van Gisbergen. And Van Gisbergen. <laughs> uh, no faster slap bonus points, but would have gone to Jack LeBrock and Will Davison. Jack LeBrock? Go fastest yeah, in Saturday's yeah. race? Yeah, they did a cracking lap. They were only two thirteens done in the races. One was Jack on Saturday and one was Will Davison on Sunday. Sterling. So, All yeah. right. <laughs> so pity they don't get points. It would have been great to see Jack get a bonus. Oh, I think that's fantastic. Uh, round results. Uh, Points-wise, the Giz scored 300 points. Cam Waters, 258 points. And Anton Di Pasquale coming in third on 240 points for the round. So... Championship points for the drivers. The Giz is leading, 1,881 points. Second is Anton Di Pasquale on 1,607 points. That's a tooth. That's, I nearly said 2,000. That's 274 points behind the Giz. Probably feels like 2,000 points. <laughs> <laughs> Cam Waters has jumped from fourth to third, uh, swapped spots with Will Davison, 1,000. 551, uh, 56 points behind Anton Di Pasquale. And Will Davison's 30 points behind Cam Waters on 1,521. So that's pretty close. Fifth, Chaz Mostert, 1,302. So that brings us to Brock Feeney, who's jumped up into sixth place on 1,257. Swap spots with David Reynolds on 1,234. These two guys are still pretty close. Uh, Reynolds and Feeney are 23 points apart. Andre Heimgardner, 1,158 points. Brody Kostecki, 1,103. 55 points behind Andre. And in running out of top 10, Tim Slade, 1,083 points. 20 points behind Brody Kostecki. 798 points behind the Gears. 
Yeah, so there's a couple of good stories there, Nev, isn't there? Like, look at that battle for two, three, and four. There's only like a handful of points between them. And then you got that battle from Mostert down to Andre Holmgartner and Brody Kostecki, even that's similarly close. Uh, but also good to see Tim Slade back in form uh, this weekend. So he's had a rough run, so good to see him back getting points. Teams. Shell V Power Racing, 2009. I'll start again. Shell V Power Racing, 2,894 points. Red Bull Racing, or Red Bull Ampole Racing, 2,886 points. That's eight points between the two of them. She's close. I reckon, what is it? Well, how many spots would Feeney have had to have uh, finished higher up to get those eight points? Because seriously, that's close. Probably just two spots. Well, if Will Davison hadn't have uh, had the coming together with Scott Pye. Would have been a bigger lead, yeah. Well, in third, 575 points behind Shell V Power Racing is Tickford Racing, which is uh, Cam Waters and don't tell me, don't tell me, it's uh, James Courtney. I have to tell you this every week, don't I? <laughs> no, you do not, not this week. You didn't have Not to. this week? <laughs> Penrite Racing is on 2,092 points. They are 802 points behind Shell V Power Racing. WAU, 2,016 points, 76 points behind Penrite Racing, but a big whopping 800. 78 points behind Shelby Power. It's a good battle for the lead there, isn't it? That's the best. Yeah, it's going to be a ding-dong battle for the rest of the year to see who gets that top spot in pit lane. Clarky, next round, when are we going to be available for the fans? Uh, well, the round is on the 31st of July, I think, which is about three weeks away, so it'll be the 1st of August for the uh, for the drop, and it's coming to you from the Bend Raceway. So uh, The Bend, yeah. all right. And so what's this format? Uh, it's a three-day format. So, uh, but uh, with three sprint races. Okay. And I'm only going for Saturday and Sunday. So, if anything exciting happens on Friday, I'm going to miss it. <laughs> okay, fans. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Clarky, I appreciate the catch up from Townsville, sunny Townsville. I'm, I'm hearing you're staying up there. Yeah, get a bit of a holiday going out to check out the Barrier Reef and uh, Magnetic Island. So, uh, I'm looking, looking forward to it. And, uh, Well, now I'm in Melbourne, now I'm annoyed, so yeah, okay, I'm out of here. See you later, bye. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth from Grove Racing. Every time we hit the track, we rely on Gates premium parts to help us perform under extreme conditions. Serpentine, cooling and timing systems are critical for your engine's performance. Inspecting and replacing all system components at the same time will ensure your vehicle is ready to tackle any challenge. Protect your ride with Gates. Available from Repco, Napa Auto Parts, Super Cheap and reputable auto stores.